and everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dive that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the host and author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter and podcast, which you can subscribe to for the podcast on Apple or Spotify or any of your usual platforms. And then the newsletter, you can go to rosegardenreport.com to subscribe free or paid. I've been putting out a lot of stuff for the paid subscribers. I would recommend getting on that, especially now that the season is kind of in full swing and we're getting into a little bit more of a rhythm as far as stuff coming out and, you know, news to news to cover, games to cover, all of that. The Blazers are 5-1. and one. They got one more home game against Memphis on Wednesday, and then they go on this big six-game road trip. So I felt like it was a good time to check in, and Eric and I get into a whole lot of different uh, topics. We, you know, we talk about Shaden Sharp's emergence after his first start of the season. We talk about the different defensive coverages they've been running we've talked you know we talk about the turnovers still being kind of an issue and then we just kind of generally check in on where we see the team being in the western conference and whether this start to the season changes any of that and then we 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 also just kind of bounce around the league a little bit for some other stuff and just give some general thoughts on the start of the season on a number of different levels i think this is a really good discussion and it's a good kind of check in on where the Blazers are at right now about a little less than two weeks into the season but with a big stretch coming up and a lot of stuff to get into based on what we've seen so far so that's coming up right after the break again Apple Spotify subscribe rate review rosegardenreport.com for the newsletter go subscribe and enjoy the discussion So, Eric, I guess we should probably start with Shaden Sharp because that's kind of the story in Blazerland this last week. We, you know, we, we last time we did one of these, they were three and zero. They had just beaten the Lakers, and we were a little bit surprised that he had started actually playing in the rotation from opening night. And I think we spent like maybe two minutes on it because there was so much other stuff to talk about. But like, that's a thing now. It really is. Shaden Sharp has become a thing, and I did not expect that to happen this early. The game against Houston, he plays, he shows up, he has a good game, he plays in the last couple of minutes. Those dunks that he had where he, the the back-to-back where Dame and the whole bench and the whole arena lost their mind was was pretty special and and I, the type of athleticism like we haven't really seen in Portland for a long time and I mean it's it's crazy to see what he's doing and it's super fun and it's super exciting and it's it's just it's a cherry on top of this five and one start is that Shaden Sharp has played in every game so far and in some of them has had has had a major impact and 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 that's not something that I don't think anybody expected at this point in the season I'm gonna throw a comparison at you that I think is maybe gonna I mean you're gonna kind of see where I'm coming from here but it's gonna be a little surprising 
who was the last Blazers rookie that kind of outside of Dame? I'm talking about like not a guy who was drafted immediately to be a franchise player. Who was the last Blazers rookie to may you know get fans excited in this way with this sort of you know athleticism and you know dunks and just like kind of you know be some, something to like to get excited about is like hey this young guy that we didn't really expect to contribute is is doing this right like who is the last who's the guy that comes to mind because i've got one man that's a uh, with athleticism and stuff i mean a little bit i mean th- there is some shades i would say of of brandon roy that's not what I. That's not where I was going. I, I, I. That's that's a comparison that I've heard. I mean, obviously with Roy, it was a little different because he did have that athleticism early on, mm-hmm. but like the knees were already kind of gone at that point. Like, I'm talking. I think that Shade and Sharp has significantly higher upside long term than this guy, but just in terms of like how excited the fan base is getting about him. And just how quickly we're seeing him be like, and you know, I've been at every one of these games and more and more I'm seeing already like shade and sharp jerseys are selling out at the, I I don't know about selling out, but like I see more and more of them. Like people are buying them. People are buying in. People are excited. A little bit of a shade of 2008-09 Rudy Fernandez going on here. Oh, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, especially after that that performance against the redeem team in the gold medal game and then he came and he had that that you know series of steals and three pointers uh, yeah i mean there did is did the dunk contest that year too that's right he did the dunk contest that year and i think shaden is going to do it as well and i think it's possible we we actually we actually asked him about it uh the other night after his first start against houston and he kind of downplayed it. He was like, yeah, my teammates are saying that, but I don't really do dunk contests. You know, I he seemed like he didn't really want to do it. But then even like he, he was like, yeah, you know, I would think about it if they asked me. And I, I'll just say right now, he is going to be in Salt Lake City because I think it's pretty much a lock that he's going to get invited to do the Rising Stars game. Oh, yeah. So he's going to be there anyway. I would not be surprised if the league asks him to do it and if they ask him to do it i feel like he probably is going to say yes yeah i mean i think he should and i think also having dame and ant two guys on his team that are vets yeah relative to him that have done the dunk contest before that's right dame did do the dunk contest remember dame did dame did he his whole thing was he competed in all five all of the all-star weekend events in one weekend he did the rising stars game he did the dunk contest he did the three point he did the skills and he did the actual all-star game itself yeah, that was I was actually there that year. That was the first all-star game I ever covered in New Orleans. And he actually did a sixth event. Oh yeah, didn't he perform? He did a four-bar Friday rap battle where he went up, he performed. Manny Fresh was actually DJing because it was in New Orleans, so they, you know, wanted to play that connection up. And they brought a bunch of because remember, this was like back when Instagram first introduced uh the 15 second videos that you could post. And that's why Dame started doing four bar Friday. And he would do it as like a thing, a challenge where everybody would send them in. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was people who had been participating in it, like consistently, he actually flew out to new Orleans and had them do a rap battle. And I actually went and Nate got me and I actually went and covered it. 
And somewhere on the USA Today for the win archives, there's a story that I wrote about being at Damian Lillard's four bar Friday rap battle. And I'm pretty sure I haven't read it in 10 years or whatever, but I'm pretty sure that my lead was that Damian Lillard did all five events at the all-star game and then did a sixth event. Oh, nice. Well, that, well, no wonder you were on the, you were on the money on that one. Uh, but yes, <laughs> but that was, yes, that, that, that I think Dame having done it before, especially because I mean, Shaden has even talked about Dame taking him under his yeah. wing and how he's learning so quickly. And I think Dame will encourage him like, hey, man, like I know you maybe don't think that you want to do this, but probably when he gets there and has the opportunity to do it, he probably will enjoy it a little bit. Yeah, well, that, I mean, Ant was reluctant to do it for years. He he would always, you know, people would talk about it locally. I, I know our, our boy Danny Morang was pushing for years that – Ant should do it or, you know, it, you know, it would make sense for him to do it. And then he was always like, no, nah, I don't. Because Ant's also, like, his personality is pretty similar to Shaden. He's kind of a quiet guy. doesn't really draw a lot of attention to himself. And he was always just like, nah, man, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then he went and he won. Mm-hmm. I, it's exciting what Shaden Sharp is doing. It's, it's exciting that they were able to get a win with Dame on the bench, even though it was against the Houston Elite. And it's it's fun to have these younger players kind of playing such a big role. And I think a lot of the teams that a lot of people thought were going to be good are startingly looking kind of old. And, you know, you look at this rotate, you look at this team, Dame is the oldest player on the team at 32 and he's not going to turn 33 until next summer. So he's the oldest player on the team. You got Nurk at 28, Jeremy Grant at 28, like these guys are all in their athletic primes. And then you've got guys like Simons, who's 23. You've got Shaden, who's 19. I mean, even, you know, I just think the youth is helping a lot on this team and this energy. And, and you see it in the way they play. They're getting out in transition so much more than they used to. And it's, it's just they're playing an exciting brand of basketball that, I mean, I don't remember like – I we I don't really remember the days in the '90s with Terry Porter and Jerome Kersey and Cliff Robinson and Clyde Drexler and those guys. But when you talk to people about those teams, one of the things that about them and also the '77 team is they were exciting. They ran. They had a fast break, and their fast break was one of their defining characteristics. And Dame has been pretty much a great half court player his entire career. He thrives in those situations, but. The excitement with which they're playing, the fact that they're fast breaking, getting out in transition, it's just so much more exciting. And more than the five and one record, just the way that they're playing is so much more fun than what we've seen over the like last 20 years of Blazer basketball, really. Yeah, I've just I'm just I'm old enough to remember going back. Probably, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about Brandon Roy, but I just remember every year during those years Nate McMillan would be going into training camp talking about oh you know we want to run more we want to play with a faster pace I think the that this Blazers team might be the only team in history because every single team at every single training camp that's one of like be like there's quote-unquote muscle watch there's like you know every every player came in and put on 15 pounds of muscle yeah, everybody's in their best shape of their life. Yeah, every team going into training camp, we want to run more. We want to play more, you know, with more pace. We want to run fast breaks. I think the Blazers might be one of the only teams I can remember that said that and then actually did it. 
whether they're doing it well or not, because Morang and I were looking up the numbers the other day at practice, and they're in the top 10 in transition frequency this year mm-hmm. after being dead last every year under Stotts because that was just not the way they played, you know, with the with their old roster and their old personnel. But they're near the bottom in transition efficiency. So it's like they're doing it a lot, but they're still not that good in transition because a lot of the guys on the roster have really never, you know, Josh Hart is kind of the one exception because the Lakers kind of played fast with him and Lonzo back, you know, when when they were rookies. And then also in New Orleans, he was there for a couple of years with Zion after the Anthony Davis trade. Like he's the one guy who's really kind of played in that style before, but like, Anthony Simons and Nasir Little have not really played that style. Justice Winslow was never really playing that style in like Miami or with the Clippers or, you know, Jeremy Grant wasn't really playing that style with Denver or with Detroit, maybe a little bit so in Oklahoma City. But like they have this athleticism and they have the personnel that can play this way. But the, a lot of those this personnel that we look at and say that about hasn't really played this way. So it's been kind of an adjustment. I And th- that's, one of, that's one of the things that I think is also kind of encouraging about the fact that they started five and one, it's like you, you have this good record and you're still figuring some stuff out. Yeah. Uh, to put a little context to what you were saying there. Yeah. They're 23rd in points per possession in transition right now in the league. And their half court offense is actually, you know, doing a lot of the heavy lifting still like they're fifth in half court efficiency, according to cleaning the glass uh, points per possession. So there's still a great half-court team. They're just getting out in transition a lot more. They're third in the frequency. So uh, that's that's great, and, and and a lot of that is live ball turnovers. I mean, they're getting a lot of and, – and also off of rebounds as well, according to Cleaning the Glass. They're, they're just getting out off of rebounds and pushing it. I mean, I, I see Josh Hart a lot in that stat, and they do need to work on it, That that but – the fact that they're, I don't want them to do it less. You know what I mean? Like, totally. Like, I, they definitely need to keep doing it. And just because they're not perfect, like, I mean, another team that you would think is a great transition team, Milwaukee is on that list. They're behind Portland in transition efficiency, and they've got arguably the best transition player in the league in Giannis. So, I'm I'm not worried so much about the efficiency right now. I love the fact that they're just getting out there and. I think that will come as they just learn how to play this way. To your point about this roster, just not a lot of guys on this team were playing that way. Um, and I think even Jeremy Grant, too. I mean, it's not like Cade Cunningham pushes the ball up the floor that much either. So I think their whole team really is adjusting, but I think it's a ne- good and necessary adjustment, especially with this new take foul rule, which we've spoken about a lot. It, you're not going to see the league slowing down. Everyone is pushing the pace. Everyone is getting scoring. I mean, scoring up is up across the league this year. Kevin Pelton for ESPN plus just wrote a, a, a good breakdown about the amount of points that have gone up in the league so far in these first two and a half weeks. Yeah. I actually asked Chauncey yesterday at practice about the take foul rule and whether that benefits them. And he said, you know, they do, you know, it has helped them, but it's kind of helped every team in the league. Although I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think there are some teams like, you know, I think we've talked before about Minnesota as a team that, you know, because, you know, if you get a rebound on Gobert and Towns, you, they can't really just slow you down with the take foul rule anymore. But Chauncey did say that it's something that they're emphasizing and it's something that because they have this personnel, by the way, you want to talk about 
people taking victory laps on predictions that they may have made on this program a few weeks ago. The one that you made about guards rebounding as well as they ever have with the Blazers, even without, you know, they've gotten nothing out of Gary Payton so far. He's still working his way back from that core muscle injury, but just Josh Hart's impact on that alone has just been, you know, astronomical. It really has been. And I, I, Look, I, I, I did think that, uh, that it was going to help. I, I did not know that Josh Hart was going to be having seven, 17 rebound games in in the season. You know, I, I didn't think he was going to be rebounding quite at that level, but he's he's impressed and, and, and he's been a, a real key. I mean, when he's – I'm looking at these stats right now and he's grabbing a higher percentage of rebounds at the wing position than almost anybody. He's in the 94th percentile in terms of defensive rebound and offensive rebounding. So he's, he's just really taken the Blazers to another level on that front and they've needed it. I mean, the, the, the white side season especially really just showed how glaring the lack of any other people to grab a rebound on the team there was. I mean, if if Whiteside wasn't getting the rebound, the Blazers were just not going to get a rebound. And that has changed some. And I think even a guy like Sharp can develop into a good rebounder. And Dame, to his credit, is getting more rebounds too. And that just didn't happen before. And 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 I think Dame deserves a lot of credit. I know he's injured right now with the, the the calf strain and we'll probably be back soon for that next road trip. But I mean, I think he deserves as much credit as anyone for setting the tone defensively and really committing to what Chauncey Billups is trying to get the Blazers to do is defend at all five spots and not really have, you know, places where you can get picked on and, and guys like Ant and guys like Dame are going to have their limitations on certain, certain matchups. But for the most part, they're doing a really good job of switching out of those things, pre-switching, changing their defense, using a lot of zone. And I want to also give the, the Blazers coaching staff a lot of credit is I they switch defenses by possession more than I think any, definitely before any, any Blazers team under Stotts, but they, they change their defensive coverages so much from possession to possession to confuse other teams. And I think it's really interesting and it's fun to watch. And I think it just creates, it just makes teams think a little bit more. And it's, it's stuff that I've seen when I was watching a lot of Euro league basketball, I would notice it a lot more like teams switching between man to man and zone on differing possessions, but the Blazers are doing it a lot right now. Like they'll go between a zone, a man to man, they'll drop, they'll blitz. They do a lot of different things. And I think that also helps create some transition opportunities and helps them get stops that they just, you know, haven't, weren't getting, you know, basically since what 2018, the, the year that they had a, I think they had like a top 10 defense that, that was like the only time that they were really like that. But now it's just, it's so interesting to watch them defensively because they change it up so often. Yeah. And that's something Chauncey has actually talked about too, is he, he said he doesn't like to give the teams that they're playing a steady, he, the words he said, we don't like to give them a steady diet of anything. He doesn't want to keep their coverages the same on multiple possessions because he, he doesn't want teams to be playing them and know what, you know, what style of defense is coming. He also said something interesting, which is that, 
he didn't even really come into taking the job intending to play a lot of zone. And that it was something that he started implementing in the second half of last year once Dame was shut down and they traded all their vets and it was just all these young guys they were playing. And he basically just said that these young guys didn't really know any of their man-to-man coverages and he just wanted to simplify what they were doing to make it easier for these kids to be able to grasp it. And then he saw them do that in some of these meaningless games and was like, Hey, you know what? This might actually work once we have our real personnel back. And then, so now he started implementing that. And I thought that was kind of interesting when he kind of put it out that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't think about it like that. And obviously you're, you're on the beat closer to the team hearing those things. And yeah, I think it's, it's another kind of example of, stuff that happened at the end of last season, like Anthony Simons kind of coming into his own as an offensive player and the confidence that everyone on the team has in him. Those things ended, have ended up carrying over some and they've, they've really been successful and, and it's, it's been fun to watch. And I think just the style of play has just been really, really interesting. And it's, it's very fresh and it's it that is adding a lot to this five and one start is just that the way that they're playing is so different from what we've seen in Dame's career that that just adds a lot more intrigue to every every game that they have pretty much has your perception or your projection of where you have them in the West changed at all in the last week and a half since the season started? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more confident that they're at least a top six team in the West. And, and, you know, they've had a really great start to the season and they're about to go on a tough road trip, but they've also played some really good teams over this stretch. And I think the bigger thing is that, a lot of the teams that we thought and that the the consensus smart media people had about other teams like the Clippers, like the Mavericks, like the Timberwolves, like the Nuggets, they're just not that great. And Portland has been better than them. And, and I think that there's a real, real chance that they could be a top six team and maybe even sneak into a home court in the top four. Because, I mean, New Orleans, Memphis, Golden State's struggling right now, but I, I, I still can't put Portland above yeah, them. But those, I'm not worried about the Warriors at all. They're and, fine. And, and Phoenix is there right now, and they've been dominant. But, like, Portland could easily be in that fifth spot right now. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to put them in, you know, the mix for a home court advantage spot. My perception of them at the start of the season was always that, and you know, we talked about this on the pod where we made the predictions, but my perception was always that they were a play in to low end of the playoffs type of team. I still kind of think that's where they are. I think if they have a good road trip, because this road trip that they have coming up, there's one more home game there. They've got Memphis on Wednesday and that's going to be a tough one. Dame, they've already said isn't going to play uh and you know that's going to you know Memphis has looked real good so far so that 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 might be a tough one but let's so let's say they lose that one they're 5 and 2 to start the season going into this big road trip and this road trip is pretty tough it's 
two games in a row against Phoenix, which I know that the Suns aren't going to have DeAndre Ayton, who is out with an ankle injury, but that's, you know, they're still a really good team. That's going to be two tough games. I think you you hope to split those one and one, right? Yeah. Like that, I mean, that would be a success. The the Australian dude, uh, Jock Landale, has been yeah. a pretty solid backup for them and and could start. They still have Biombo, who's still serviceable. And Booker is still incredible like he's yeah. he's still an absolute problem so they're still gonna have trouble guarding him yeah. uh but so but you, yeah so you hope to split tough. those if you if you split those if you go one and one against the suns that's a success and then they've got you know they've got miami who they've already lost to who still doesn't look very good though no but they're still a team that they've lost to and it's a team that you know the style that they play gave them some problems in the last game that they played so that's not going to be an easy one You've got Charlotte, who's bad. Like, I don't think Charlotte's a good team, but they've been kind of frisky. They beat the Warriors the other night. They've they've hung in there. You know, Steve Clifford is kind of a Tibbs guy. Like, his teams, even if their personnel, like, talent-wise, isn't going to be as good as the team that they're playing. They're one of the teams that's always going to, you know, hang around and be annoying to play night to night. So that's not a gimme win. Like, the the only team that they look at on the schedule and say this is a gimme win is the game against Houston that they just played. Even without like even without Dame, I had thought under no circumstances were they going to lose that game. But that's like basically the only team in the league that you feel that way about. Yeah. But so that one's tough. New Orleans is tough. They're really good. And then Dallas, who we've talked about how they haven't looked that good so far. But on any given night, especially with Portland being at the end of the road trip, Luca could like like we when we talk about we we us thinking that Dallas is maybe not as good as people thought they were. That's more so thinking ahead towards the playoffs where, you know, they don't really have any other guys besides Luca and he's going to wear down. But right now Luca has been incredible. And, you know, you always have to kind of think about the idea that he could get, you know, just get, you know, go off and. And they do have shooters around him. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not like the Lakers where they just don't have anybody around an amazing shot creator. I mean, if you double Luca, you got to get into a rotation. You got to move around, and you got to respect all the guys that take threes for them. Finney Smith, Kleba, Tim Hardaway Jr. Like all those guys can, and Christian Wood when he's out there. Like all those guys can shoot. So that is something that you've got to watch out for and something that you've got to respect. And and it's a unique challenge because there's not a lot of teams that play that way. So let's, all right. So, so let's just say, I don't, I don't like doing too much of the, uh, you know, projecting out which games are wins and losses in the schedule, because I think that's kind of silly and you don't know what, uh, you know, injuries guys are going to have or who's going to get hot on any given night. But let's just say like, let's say they lose the Memphis game on Wednesday. That's at home. And then let's say they split the Suns game and then they beat Charlotte and they beat uh, Dallas. So that means they go three and three on the road trip. You come back from your first of three six game road trips and you're eight and five. Given how tough their schedule was when the schedule first came out and how we were talking about how if they can just get to Christmas even within range of 500 then they're fine because the back half of their schedule is a lot of tanking teams you have to feel pretty good about eight and five coming off of that first big road trip right oh yeah absolutely i think i think obviously i i think a lot of people you know you you start the season five and one you start to get greedy you know what i mean like you start to want to 
keep stacking those wins and keep those losses low. But realistically, yeah, being eight and five after that road trip would be phenomenal. That'd be, that'd be a great place to be in, uh, especially, you know, with Dame coming back. And if you had told me before the season that they were going to be eight and five after their first big road trip, which they, I think they have three of them, like, yeah, I would be happy. I would be pleasantly surprised even if that, if, if that was what you told me. So but I, I, I do think that, hey, you know, like you got Phoenix without Aiton. You should at least win one of those. New Orleans has been good, but Portland has been good too. You know, like I, I would like to see, you know, that game. I think it's going to be a good test. And and I think this road trip is going to be a really great test for just how good they are. Um, And you're going to want to see them clean up some of those turnovers. But that also might just be a weakness of this team. Um, is, is, is turning the ball over. I think that's probably their biggest weakness at this point. I would say so too. And that, that's something that Chauncey has kind of harped on with them. And, you know, he said that again yesterday that he's, he says the way he's put it is that he's fine with a turnover. If it's, you were trying to make the right play and make the extra pass and like they deflect it and get a steal. Like he's fine with that. But the ones where it's just like lazy passes or offensive fouls, or you just throw the ball away, like, those are the ones that I think, and then that that was really what hurt them against Miami was, you know, I thought defensively they were actually pretty solid in that game. It's just that by a Miami's defense was really good. They were really good at forcing turnovers and you know, locking up some of their their shooters. So that was that that was kind of their their weakness. And I think you know some of it you would think that as the season goes along and you know these guys get more comfortable with playing each other, you would think that they'd be able to clean some of that stuff up, but. I am kind of with you that that might just end up being something that's a weakness of theirs. Yeah. And you, you'd like to see, even if it is a weakness that they just improve it even a little bit. Cause I think right now they're like 29th in, in offensive turnover rate. And you know, you, you don't want to be in that position. You don't want to be 29th in anything. And so that is definitely a, a huge area for improvement is just less turnovers, less offensive fouls to your point. Even just getting to 20th. You don't even have to be get in, you know, to being good at it. If you can just get from 29th to 20th where you're closer to league average and not among the worst in the league at it and everything else holds, then you're in okay shape. Exactly. Like that yeah, that's where you would at least hope to be just to clean it up a little bit. It doesn't have to be great, but they should, they need to clean it up some. And some of that also can be, I think attributed to just like this whole group still getting to know each other on, on, on a, on just a basic level is that, you know, the, the, the Blazers starting five has been pretty good, but it's still a brand new starting five. That's only played about five games together. So yes, they can improve, but also I think that's something that, can get better as these players get to know each other a little bit more. They're playing with each other more. They understand, you know, that unspoken kind of basketball uh, telepathy that kind of develops when you play with someone for a long time that they just don't really quite have yet. The, that That's kind of a big reason why I've been so reluctant, if you will, after this five and one start to the season to really change how I feel about where, you know, where this team can be and, you know, how good they can be, because I still look at it and I still see some things that they need to clean up and some things that, you know, you would think they'll clean up, but that you don't know that they'll clean up. How long are you 
as an observer willing to, cause this is, this is a conversation I was having with a couple people at practice yesterday, which is just the idea of how long are you going to give it before you decide that this is kind of what this team is positively or negatively, you know, not a, not like not overreacting to a hot start or not overreacting the other way to let's say they go two and four on this road trip. Like where are you at? Cause I've always kind of said, We'll see where they're at on Christmas. I've heard some people say they want to, you know, know more before then. Where where are you kind of at as far as uh, when you're going to actually say, okay, I finally got a good handle on how good this team is or isn't? I generally think after Christmas, like January, I think is because that's also like once Christmas ends, you start getting close to all-star break. Those are kind of dog days. And like, that's when who you are as a team really, really, really starts to matter. So I'm I'm going to want until at least the start of the new year. Would love to see how they get through November here. If I need to make an early call, I'll make one. And I, I could always change my mind. But right now I'm going to say let's wait until January just because like how new this group is. And it's been exciting, yes. But uh, yeah, I would just like to see a little bit more because that's really when – also, to your point, the schedule should get a little bit better for them. I mean, November is going to be a tough month for them. I think after this Memphis game, they've got games like every other day for the rest of the month. The six-game road trip has two back-to-backs on it. Yes, and I'd like to issue a correction. The Blazers are actually 27th in turno- in uh, offensive turnover rate. That's not much better. No, they're 0.3 points away from being 29th. So, Yeah. Uh, it's not much better. They're in the vicinity with Houston, San Antonio, Utah, which they're both five and two as well. And then the Clippers are actually 30th. Okay. Yeah. The the Clippers thing is so interesting. They, the Blazers actually play the Clippers at the end of the month. That's, I believe that's their only TNT. Is that, that's, I know that is, I know that's a national game. I can't, it's on Tuesday, so it must be TNT. I know that's, I think that's their only TNT game of the, of the year. So I'm kind of worried about the Clippers, man. The, this Kawhi stuff with him already sitting games out and just them looking slow against some of these younger teams. It's a little worrying to me. It is. And I think, you know, <laughs> It's, it's kind of, no one said this when it happened, and obviously, you know, it's still kind of a stretch to go there just because of what they had to do, and they didn't, they got Keon Johnson and Winslow back, but like, I mean, the Clippers trade isn't looking as bad as it looked eight months ago. It looks kind of okay now, and even for Portland, like, kind of a plus. I mean, Keon is playing with Dame out, uh, Winslow is is a major part of the rotation, and I mean, Norman Powell, it could just be a slump. You know, he's having like maybe the worst shooting of his career right now, but and his I think he has a negative player efficiency rating at the moment. So I think that will turn around, but who knows? I mean, I mean, just getting off a five year deal that was or the you know, four years of a nine of five year ninety million dollar contract and getting a young player in Keon and a guy that a lot of teams have kind of just kind of dismissed because he's not a great outside shooter in Winslow, but can do a lot of other things that this team needs at a very high level with passing it with defending. I mean, he kind of runs the point when he's on the second unit, like that trade is, is, is looking really good for Portland and it's looking like it it, it was not 
yes, it was done in large part to get under the salary tax, the luxury tax, but the benefits of it are looking a lot more than just that. Yeah, and I I will fully admit I did not think that was a great trade when they made it. I th- I was a little bit higher on the CJ trade than other folks were, but the trade the Covington and Powell to the Clippers for Justice Winslow and Keon Johnson and Eric Bledsoe, like that did not look like a great deal at the time, especially when they didn't end up being able to flip the Eric Bledsoe money for other stuff. Like I think people thought that they would and. I remember saying at the time that that one didn't look good, but that you kind of have to wait and judge everything. Cause like all this stuff, you kind of have to judge together and not just, you know, every trade being judged individually. I did not think this trade was great at the time. No, no, no. I, I, I definitely did not No, I think we both kind of thought like, especially cause they made that trade like a week before the deadline or, or like five days before it or something. I think there was a thought of like, why did you do this trade now? Why didn't you hold out and see if you could have gotten a pick? And then it was also funny that uh, Danny Ainge leaked to whoever that, you know, Hey, I would have given up a first for Norm Powell. And it's like, well, if you were going to give up a first for Norm Powell, you would have given up a first for Norm Powell. That's also so Danny Ainge. That's like every, every time there were rumors about Anthony Davis or who or Kevin Durant or whomever is always I was covering the Bulls when they almost traded Jimmy Butler to the Celtics and that was like the exact same thing. Exactly. It's like, oh well after the fact, if he had known, which is like, okay, like you were trying to lowball, you were trying to get a get over on someone, and it's like you got burned by someone else who came to the table and was actually willing to play ball. And yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's just vintage Danny Ainge lying. <laughs> that's what it is. He's lying. And so, like, it it has worked out for the Blazers in more ways than I can imagine. I will say, shout out to one of my buddies, uh, Alex, uh, who told me that he loved Keon Johnson when, when that trade happened. He's a huge college basketball guy, and he was like, whoa, we got Keon Johnson? And I was like, are you serious right now? Like... I, I was not taking him seriously at all, but turns out Keon can play. And Winslow, I, I think, is, you know, he's found a home. He has. I'm going to be very interested just from a, I mean, this is getting way ahead of ourselves here, but just from a cap perspective, like, are they going to be able to keep him? Because they have his, oh, they only have his early bird rights, and they'll only be able to pay him like $7 million next year and resign him if they're over the cap. And he might get, offers for more than that so they might just end up losing him just because of the cap crunch and stuff but for right now he's yeah he's been you know he's been when he's been healthy he missed one game he missed the Denver game uh with the little ankle injury but he's been fine since then he's been the sixth man he's you know a good defender he was I don't know how actually in the mix he was for the starting small forward spot during camp but Chauncey kind of paid lip service to him being in the mix for it I think the fact that he's kept coming off the bench even when other guys have been hurt. Well, the other thing, too, is GP2 is probably going to be the sixth man when he comes back, right? I mean, like... Yeah, and by the way, we should get an update on that soon. I don't know when. They keep saying, you know, next few days, next few days. I would think at some point this week before they go on the road trip, we should get some sort of update on that. I've kind of heard that we might still be a few weeks away from seeing him actually play because 
he's been doing more from what I understand. He's been doing more in terms of workouts and ramping up, but especially with this big road trip coming up, I think they want to not rush it. And he's also had this surgery multiple times. This is not like the first time he's ever had this surgery. He's had it a couple of times. Oh, well, yeah, then uh, you got to be careful. I think we might be talking about closer to Thanksgiving that we see him, but I guess we're going to get an update on that at some point in the next few weeks. Now, as far as with Dame, like I was actually a little bit surprised that he was ruled out for the Memphis game because I had heard that he was really, really pushing to play for that game. And he's really not concerned about this calf injury, but I think the medical staff kind of just shut that down. But I, I would, I would guess that he probably plays in at least one of the two. Maybe he won't play in the first of the Phoenix game because they're on back-to-back nights and they want to just give him one extra day. But I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in one of the Phoenix games and then he's just good to go from there. Yeah, and if they they bring him back for that Saturday Phoenix game, that'll be like 10 days since the the injury. So kind of a midway point in that two-week timeline uh, that they announced. So yeah, it would would be reasonable for him to come back then. Uh, But... You know, uh, I think it also could depend on how they look against Memphis and like how they're playing. I mean, obviously, the, Memphis is a great team. They're taking care of business. They're super athletic. And and Portland has kind of had athletic advantages in a lot of their games so far that they're not going to have against Memphis. So it, it's going to be a good test. But I think maybe some of how they play with Dame out could maybe encourage them to wait a little bit more on it. And also like to what Dame said after the injury where he said, you know, he would have played if it were a playoff game, but it's, it was the fifth game of the season. Like you're still less, even after the first, after these next three games this week uh, against Memphis and the two against Phoenix, you're still not even 10% of the way through your schedule. So it's, there's, there's 90% of your season left to go. There's no need to, play fast and loose with your franchise player. Yeah. And just one more injury note real quick. Josh Hart entered the concussion protocol after the Houston game. He hit his head on the ground. I don't know what his status is going to be for the Memphis game on Wednesday. They Chauncey said yesterday that he's progressing and he's doing well, but he hasn't been cleared for stuff yet. So I wouldn't be shocked if he missed the, Memphis game, which obviously that would be as big a loss as anything, as big as loss as Dame, arguably, just given how much, you know, how important he's been so far. But I don't know what is like, they didn't have practice today, so we're not getting an update on that today, but they are practicing tomorrow. So I would imagine we'll get more of an update on that front tomorrow. Yes. I also just had a thought, though, uh, since today is Halloween. I, uh, huh. I don't have any inside info here, but considering they've got a day between now and uh, their game on Wednesday, would not be surprised to see uh, a bla- some some social media posting of some kind of Blazers Halloween party tonight. Uh, that's just something that came to mind just now, seeing a lot of these NBA costumes and people posting about stuff, which that would be, if you want to talk about a vibes booster, I mean, that would be special. Well, I would love. I I can't wait. I'm hoping to see some posts about some kind of Halloween party. Everyone brings their kids or whatever. Like, I, I I'm not. I would not be surprised. And, and that would that's the type of stuff too. Like this team, 
and Dame has talked about it too, like actually given words to it. Like he wants the Blazers to be the most connected team. And when you see- Oh, that's not Dame. That's the Joe Chauncey connectivity. Like Dame has used it because it's the company line, but that's th- that is the organization's word, the connectivity. It's like the it's like the bifurcate of the new regime. If you will. <laughs> yeah, there's no bifurcating, only connection. Um, which bifurcating I think is like uh like a buffer, if you will. So it's like anti-connection. It's literally like in the, the aggregate. Yeah, in and in the aggregate as well, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um yeah, that's God, man. That that that's that's hilarious. And so I yeah, I I think Halloween Blazers potentially could be uh in the mix for this week, especially. And uh, yeah, the Memphis game is going to be really interesting because Memphis is so good, but they're also dealing with some injuries and some illnesses. Um, you know, John Moran, I think is questionable tonight, but I, I think he will play against the Blazers. Uh, and the other thing too, is that what if they lose tonight, they lose back to back against Utah. They're going to come into Portland angry as hell. Hey, that's the five and two Utah jazz. Hey, I respect the jazz. I respect this jazz team. Um, they've got athletes. They've got uh, a lot of guys wanting to prove themselves. They've got a lot of NBA caliber rotation players. I mean, you got Beasley, you got uh, Lowry, been really good. Yeah, yeah, the, dude, it, Conley. Um, I mean, a lot of guys that are at, playing out there to prove themselves. Rudy Gay. Um, they, they've got this Italian dude who I've never heard of, Fontecchio, who like gets buckets randomly. Like, they've just got a bunch of dudes that are actually pretty good players. And it's just like, you know, it, it maybe shouldn't have surprised us as much as it is, but that's what they've got. They've just, so all the tanking teams, except for, except for uh, Houston actually have pretty good vibes. Like obviously with San Antonio, like this Josh Primo stuff sucks and it's a bummer and all of that. But other than that, like they've been playing hard and you know, they, they've looked good. Keldon Johnson has looked really good for them. Like, they've been interesting. Indiana has been, you know, Matherin's looked really good. He's been, I think, the second best rookie so far after Paolo. By the way, did I, did, I didn't listen to it yet, but I saw the clip going around of Miles Turner on <laughs> Woj's podcast, basically begging the Lakers to trade for him. I mean, I don't think he was begging. Like, Woj asked him about it. You know what I mean? Like, like I haven't listened to the clip yet. I'll admit that. What's he going to say? You know, like, here's a guy who's been to sound to, here's a guy sounding like Hubie Brown. Here's a guy who's been fake traded and been in trade rumors for four years. And someone asked him, do you think you're worth two first round picks and Russ, or, you know, I, I think Laker fans are like out here saying they could get him for Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly. Oh, is that the thing now? Because I thought the whole idea was that that would be how they would get off the Russ money. No, no, no. Now that Russ is on the bench and he's quote unquote saved his career, he's flourishing after one after one winning one game, exactly winning their one first game. game of the season. <laughs> after exactly. like I saw I saw that quote from Anthony Davis last night where he was talking about like I just went up to Russ after the game and I congratulated him and he's flourishing in his new role. It's like okay, calm down. You guys won one game. Yes, yes. Against a Denver team that has not looked very good, that Portland. Everything game. is going to just go swimmingly the rest of the way. Right, exactly. But no, yeah, they've pivoted now that they can get Miles Turner and they want to keep Westbrook for a quote-unquote bigger fish is what I saw 
out there on Lakers Twitter today. What but bigger fish? I, dude, I don't know, man. Miles Turner and Buddy Heal is like the best case scenario for what they're going to get. The other name I keep seeing is Terry Rozier, who is fine. And, but and, like, or, or, and Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward actually has been good so far this season. Yeah, him and Kelly Oubre uh, have, have been playing pretty well. Yeah, okay. I like I But still, there it's it's just this hypothetical thing. But what I'm saying is is what what is Miles Turner supposed to say when he's being asked, "Do you think you're worth that?" And it's like is he going to say I'm not worth anything? Never trade for me. I'm done at like the age of 26? No. That would be stupid. Like I just don't know what he was supposed to say and like a lot of people on NBA Twitter were like, man, like they got, they just got to send Miles Turner home until, like, you know, turn it into a Jay Crowder situation where he's just away from. I don't the team like until it. The, no, I, I mean, I hate do, I hate doing that. Like, I, it, it's one thing if like a guy is a distraction to the team and like it's disruptive, and I like, I get, I get it from that sense. Like with the like, the, like there was like the weird stuff with Ben Simmons. Like I understood that last year, but. I think Jay Crowder should maybe maybe this is maybe this is like one of my first I try to not ever be like an old man get off my lawn guy. This might be one of my first moments of that. It kind of rubs me the wrong way that Jay Crowder is just not playing because they haven't traded him. That is kind of weird. And it's like it, it, it doesn't really make any sense. And they could use him like I didn't love it. I didn't love it when the Thunder did it with Al Horford. I didn't love it when the uh, Rockets did it with John Wall. Like, it's just, it's weird. And John Wall has been very vocal about how much he hated that. Yeah. He did not want to do that. Whereas I think there's there's a little bit more mutual. I think it, this Jay Crowder situation, I think, is a little bit more of like a mutual. We don't want to be with each other at all. It's more of like a, a conscious uncoupling, if you will. Sure, yeah. Shout out to Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. Yeah, I... I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. And by the way, just, just, we are monitoring here on the Rose Garden Report uh, in our, you know, extended cinematic universe. We are monitoring the Miles Turner situation, if you will. We definitely Because that is probably out of the realistic upgrades that could be out there for a team like Portland that's probably pretty high on the list of somebody that they could actually get that would be a real upgrade that they might actually be able to do. I still think the DeAndre Ayton thing is kind of a pipe dream. I think something like a Miles Turner type of upgrade is more real. I mean, we have... Part of the Ayton thing too was when we were talking about it before the season was kind of betting on the fact that the vibes in Phoenix would be so bad that they would also be bad, but they're not. And that makes it a lot less likely that they're going to do a trade because Aiton is such a big part of their team and they're actually good. Whereas Indiana, they've got like three other center. They've got Isaiah Jackson. Who's looked good. Jalen Smith has looked good ever since getting there from Phoenix. Like they've already got a couple guys and then, I just think that there's maybe a little bit more interest there from their side in getting rid of him. And I just don't think, you know, I don't think Beverly or uh, does really does anything for them or Westbrook even when 
their two, their two, their honestly, their three best guys are all guards that have the ball. You got Halliburton, you got Matherin, you got Duarte healed. Like there's just not a lot of guard minutes to go around in Indiana. And it's also a situation with them where like, he's clearly a guy that's going to get traded at the, I know he's been fake traded forever, but it was just like, cause like back when I was covering the bulls, Taj Gibson was always that guy. He was, uh, you know, every year it was, you know, is he going to be in trade rumors? Cause they had Pau Gasol and Joakim Noah and Carlos Boozer and all these other guys. And he's kind of the odd man out. He was kind of the guy every year. Finally, the year that he was about to be a free agent, they traded him and Doug McDermott to Oklahoma city. And one of the worst trades of all time, it was like, they gave up a second round pick and the main player that they got back was Cameron Payne back before he got to Phoenix and was actually good. He was one of the worst NBA players I'd ever seen when he was in Chicago. But like these guys that have been in trade rumors forever, when they're actually expiring deals, it's a lot more likely that they get traded because Indiana is not going to re-sign Miles Turner because they're not going to be trying to win over the next couple of years. So he's going to be on the move. He's going to be on the market. And it's clear like... We should mention this. We have not really talked about Nurkic so far. Nurkic has been good since he was like he was bad in the Sacramento game to open the season. He's largely been pretty good since then. I thought he had his best game of the season against Houston the other night because they just don't have like they were like putting Shangun on him. It's like Shangun can't hang with him physically, but most guys in the league can't hang with him physically. Like when he's locked in. Well, but the the problem with him always, though, is that he has this physical advantage over guys and he just doesn't use it. He just will, like, get, you know, know, use his size advantage, get this great shot, and then he'll just, you know, go up soft with a floater and not actually try to dunk the ball. Which, like, whatever. Like, like, I don't need to, like, relitigate the whole, you know, Nurkic's entire career and, and whatever. I still, he has been really good lately. I still think that him as your starting center gives you a ceiling and I think that if they were going to try to upgrade any spot in the rotation, that would probably be the spot that they look to upgrade. And I think that Miles Turner is one of the realistically available guys that they might look at. So this situation with him going on Woj's pod and saying that the Lakers should trade, like it's, it's just, it's something that we're monitoring is kind of all I'm saying. Yes. To your point to like put a little bit of numbers to what you're talking about. I mean, defensively Nurkic has been fantastic. He's in the 93rd percentile in defensive rebounding. His steal rate and block rate are really, really good. He's in the 63rd percentile on blocks. He's in the 68th percentile on steals, which is pretty good. And he's not fouling, which is like, that's major. Like, and he's also getting to the line and he's making his free throws. Like, All of those things are good. Where he's really struggling right now is just from the field. Like those hook shots, layups, whatever you want to call them, those shots in the three to 10 foot range just really have not been his friend. He's one of the worst bigs in the league at points per shot attempt. Um, And, you know, his, his shooting percentage has been bad. I mean, obviously it went up a little bit in that, in that game against Houston and, you know, maybe can go up again, against a guy that he's actually played pretty well against in Steven Adams. I, I think it will be a good matchup though. Uh, but, and he has done well. I just think that's if, if you want to talk about room for him to grow this season, it's just his finishing. I mean, really it's just like, if he can finish more of those shots that he gets when he's posting up and kind of leaning towards the basket, that will help a lot. Uh, and they've been 
I think they're like 11th and 12th on offense and defense respectively. And that's with Nurk missing a ton of close shots. So if he can clean some of that up and bump it up even a little bit, like that helps a great deal. But I, I, in general though, I agree that Nurk does put a little bit of a ceiling on this team, but one thing that he has done well, I'll give him credit is his fouling hasn't been that bad. Um, and, And I think, he deserves credit for that, for defending well without fouling. And in general, the, the Blazers deserve a lot of credit for that because that's been – the free throw line has been their biggest strength on both sides of the ball. It has, and that's something that they uh, have been emphasizing. And, you know, that's actually the, the one loss that they have so far this season, the loss to Miami. That was – they lost that battle for the first time. And I think that – the turnovers were a big part of it, but I think that was also kind of a part of it. Yeah, when when yeah, the turnovers have been part of every game, pretty much, you know. But yeah, when Jimmy was getting to the line, Bam was getting to the line, Tyler Hero was getting to the line. That was that was really where that that game lost. They lost control of that game. And that's probably a good place to wrap it. I think you know they they have one more home game before they go on the road trip. But you know we'll be back. You know we'll, we'll probably check in at some point. You know during maybe the early part of the road trip. And, you know, I'll have more episodes before then. I have, you know, again, I've had a couple of guests that I've been trying to get that I'm hoping to be able to get soon that, you know, we'll, so we'll, we'll get some, you know, more more voices on here, I think, is is, is going to be the idea over the next few weeks during this road trip. So, uh, but still me. But still Eric also, you know, this is... <laughs> It's it's gonna be it's not it's not less of Eric it's more of other stuff is kind of what we're is is kind of what what the idea is here as always you can get the podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts make sure you subscribe rate review and then you can go to rosegardenreport.com to subscribe it costs you twenty dollars a month to get a blue check on Twitter under the Elon Musk regime it costs you six dollars a month or fifty dollars for a whole year to get the best Portland Trailblazers coverage that you're going to get anywhere. So That's right. That's value. I think I think it's not really a contest where you're spending your money better, but we'll be back with you guys soon. Thanks for listening. What?